Well, let me ask you a question. Do you have a life verse from the Bible? Or do you have a favorite verse from the Bible? One to remind you, one to guide you in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I want to welcome everybody on this 4th of July weekend. Thank you for coming and worshiping, and thank you for bringing the families here today, too. Kids, I know you have some great activity sheets with you, and utilize those, and I'm looking for some answers, too. I've, uh, I've been working on them, and I need some help, so make sure after the service you let me know what some of those are. Thinking about the, this weekend and the, the holiday coming up, I thought about the favorite verse or the life verse of a couple of our founding fathers. Kids, see if you can remember who some of these were. George Washington, George Washington, great general and our first president. He chose Micah 4.4, which says, But they shall sit everyone under his vine and under his fig tree, and they will not be afraid, for the Lord of hosts has spoken. That was good. How about um, Alexander Hamilton, our first U.S. Secretary of the Treasury? Alexander Hamilton picked Matthew 22:39, which said, "You shall love your neighbor as yourself." And then, how about John Quincy Adams, our diplomat and sixth U.S. president? He picked a. He just picked a really powerful verse, Isaiah 58, verse six, says, "Is this not the fast that I choose?" The Lord says to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Really a good one. I want you to turn to your neighbor, turn to the person next to you, and I want you to share either your favorite verse, your life verse, or if you don't have either, who your favorite founding father is. Say that real fast three times. Who your favorite founding father is. Take a minute and do that right now. Turn to the person next to you. Well, thank you. Hopefully that will challenge you to have a life verse from the Bible, because that's a great segue into our new series. For the month of July, for these four weeks, pastors TJ, Brad, Jason, and I will be dealing with anchors of faith. Anchors of faith will be sharing the what and the why of our life verse or our favorite verse and how the Lord uses it to remind us, to guide us in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that's where my life verse is found. And you'll see on the map, kids, take a look here. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth. Corinth is that city right up there. It is between the northern part of Greece, Achaia, and the southern part, which is called the Peloponnese. Corinth is right there in the Isthmus, and if you were to go south on Corinth along the eastern coast, you'd find the villages of Vervina and Astros, and that's where my grandparents on my dad's side of the family came from many, many years ago. So love the, love the nation of Greece, love Corinth. Paul is speaking, and in chapter 5, verse 15, he says, and he, Christ, 
died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I like to paraphrase it and make it personal in my life. It says, and Christ died for Dean. The Dean who lives should no longer live for himself, but for him who died for Dean and was raised again. It's a verse that reminds me, reminds me of three things. One, my salvation in Christ reminds me of my motivation from Christ and finally my exertion for Christ. And I believe you'll be inspired from this verse as well. It may not be your life verse, but it, you'll be inspired from it because it deals with your salvation, deals with your motivation, deals with your exertion in your life. And those are three of the most important things that we can be pursuing in our Christian life. So we want to dig a little bit deeper in this passage this morning, but before we do, join me as we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time to gather here today as individuals, as couples, and families. We thank you for protection from this past week, from the storms, and your provision of relief and recovery for those who have been impacted. Lord, we thank you for our country. We sing, America, America, God shed his grace on thee. We thank you for our blessings and our freedoms. And yet, Lord, as a nation, as a people, we have drifted from you. And so, Lord, we ask by your grace you would bring revival in the church. And that through the revival, Lord, the word would go forth, the gospel would be spread, and you'd bring people out of darkness into the light of the gospel of Christ. We do pray for Pastor Jason today, his time in Brazil, continued safety, and as he preaches twice today, may you anoint him, prepare him, and allow him to minister in your name, Lord, and we give thanks for that. Lord, we do pray for the family of uh, Officer Smith. That you would comfort them, and thank you, Lord, for his sacrifice to keep others safe. Uh, we lift that family up and care for them today. And Lord, for the needs of your people here or online, Lord, we know that someone here needs your comforting presence. Someone here this morning needs your encouraging word. Someone needs your guiding hand. Someone needs your healing touch. And someone needs your forgiving power. And may you reach them in those times of need today. Lord, prepare our hearts to hear from your word today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the first thing we see in this passage is there is salvation in Christ. And he, Christ, died for all. He died for all. The Lord Jesus Christ left heaven as the eternal Son of God to come to earth to do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father was for Jesus to live a perfect, sinless, holy life, to go to the cross, to be a substitute and provide an atoning death on that cross. And to rise from the dead, to give victory over sin and death and hell. Jesus did all of that. And this verse reminds us that Christ's blood is sufficient to cover any and all of our sins. And to cover the sins of any and all that come to put their faith and trust in Him. That's why the Bible says that we are to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
The Bible says that if we receive him, to as many as received him, to them, he gave the power to become children of God, even to them that believe in his name. It was 50 years ago this past week, this past Tuesday, that I came to fully understand what those verses meant. Now, I had, I had grown up going to church, went to the Greek Orthodox Church, went to a Catholic high school, I uh, watched King of Kings, Ten Commandments, Ben-Hur. Uh, I knew about the Lord, uh, but I didn't know the Lord in a personal way. And I was working as a counselor at a basketball camp, Chicago Bulls basketball camp, and uh, a coach started to talk to me. I thought he was going to talk about my basketball a little bit, but instead he started talking about his faith life and asking me about mine. And I was intrigued by that, and he shared about how he came to know the Lord, and he gave me a cassette tape to listen to. Now, kids, that's a little plastic thing <laughs> with two little holes on it, and it had all this tape, and when you played it in and heard music or a message, and then it usually unraveled all over the place, and you had to wind it back up again. But on the cassette tape was a message by Reverend Billy Graham, and it was a message on Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler. And rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I realized I related to him because I had really always thought, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Be a good enough person, Lord, if I would just do these things. But as I heard the Reverend Graham preach, I began to realize that, no, I was a sinner separated from God. I needed a Savior and that Jesus was that Savior. That Jesus provided the holiness and righteousness that I didn't have, but he would provide for that. And then I remember the Reverend Graham using two verses that just really struck me. The Lord just touched my heart. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. And he followed that up with Proverbs 29, 1. He who hardens his heart, being often reproved, shall suddenly be cut off, and that without remedy. And I realized I had a need. And I didn't know how much time I had, and I needed to do something then. And the Spirit of God brought me under conviction and led me to pray to trust Jesus. And on June 27th, 1973, 50 years ago this past week, the Lord saved me, and I was born again by the Spirit of God, by His grace and goodness. It was done at Aurora College and there's a scene of Aurora College, and actually on my, on my iPhone, hey! And on my iPhone, if you have a set, there's a setting, a ringtone setting for Aurora. And so I, I thought, hey, that's great. I'm, so I set my text and my email notifications on Aurora, and every time I hear that, it reminds me of what the Lord did 50 years ago. My spiritual rebirth this past Tuesday, a day, the day before my, back then, 18th birthday. So you can add it up and figure out how old I am on June 28th. <laughs> it reminded me of a quote, and I've always used this because of the adjacence of the spiritual birthday and my physical birthday. Howard Hendricks, the late Howard Hendricks Bible teacher and pastor, said the two most important days of our life are the day we were born and the day we were born again to know why we were born. And that always has resonated with me. And I was, I was thinking about that and, and the, the idea of being born again by the Spirit of God. 
And back when I was working at the gathering place, I had the privilege of doing that. In 2009, the U.S. Senior Open Golf Tournament was going to be at Crookus Stick on the north side. And we partnered with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes to have an outreach. And we invited Bernhard Langer to come and speak at that event. Maybe some of you were there that day. And uh, Bernhard had a great testimony. And he talked about, you know, growing up in Germany, grew up in a Catholic family, went to the Catholic church. He knew about the Lord, but he really didn't have a personal faith. And in 1985, he won the Masters Tournament, got the slip on the green jacket, most prestigious of all the golf tournaments. And yet, and yet, there was an emptiness in his life that didn't satisfy him, and he wondered why. Well, the next week, the tournament was in Hilton Head at the Heritage Tournament. He was invited to go to the tour Bible study, and he went on Wednesday night to the tour Bible study. And ironically, no providentially, the chaplain was teaching on what? John chapter 3, Jesus and Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he heard that, and it began to bring him under conviction, and in a short while, Bernhard Langer trusted Christ, and he has been a great outspoken witness for Jesus for all of these years. And so I ask you this morning, have you received that salvation that comes through faith in Christ? Have you been born again by the Spirit of God? I echo those words that Reverend Graham said 50 years ago on the tape, Today is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. To him or her who hardens his heart being suddenly cut off, they will be without remedy. Today do that. Trust him if you haven't done that. And so we see in this verse there is salvation in Christ. Second of all, we see that there is motivation from Christ that those who live... To not just exist, but to truly live. Live the life that Christ has for me. That if you're in Christ, the life that he has for you. Living now in light of that salvation. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2 verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, what? I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I came across a a quote from a commentator, and I thought it was really good. Dying with Christ should lead to living for Christ. Isn't that good? Dying with Christ should lead to living for Christ. I've had the opportunity over the past few weeks, and will over the next few weeks, of facilitating a class on Wednesday night. What on earth is God doing in my life? And it's been great, and Bruce Wilkinson from Teach Every Nation uh, is leading us through that. And the, and the real idea is John 15. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, and he says we are to bear fruit in our life, right? He says sometimes we bear no fruit, sometimes fruit, more fruit, much fruit. And what is leading to have that fruit? It is good works, good works. That doesn't merit our salvation, but it's evidence of our salvation, And he brought us to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. What a great passage, and I know Pastor Jason shares it often. For we are his, God's workmanship, his masterpiece. His masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. That God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Before the foundation of the world, before all of creation, 
God planned for you and me in Christ to do good works. You have eternity past, you have eternity future, you have the timeline of history, and somewhere along history, our life is marked out there. That God has uniquely called us to know Jesus and to do good works. And he's given us the personality, the talent, the experiences, the heart, the passion to do those good works. And only you can do those that he's called for you and only I can do the ones he's called for me. And we need to do that. And as we do good works, we are bearing fruit, more fruit, much fruit in our life. And why does God do that? One, to give him glory. And second, for him to give us rewards. Can't earn our way to heaven. We receive it by his grace through faith. But from then on, our works demonstrate our salvation and receive his good works. In 1 Corinthians 3 and Romans 14, it says that we will all, as believers, stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not the judgment for our sin, but the judgment of our works. It's called the what? the Bema seat. If you walk down the street of ancient Corinth with all the ruins, you will come across a Bema seat. It's where the judge, the magistrate, would sit and make laws, enforce laws, and Jesus is going to do that with us as believers to evaluate us. Kids, it's just like taking a test in school or you're playing sports or you're in a dance recital or whatever. There's an evaluation, right, by the score or by the judges. Jesus is going to do that with us in our good works. And so, you and I should be motivated because our works are going to be evaluated, right? You and I should be motivated because our works are going to be evaluated. Kids, you, do you know the singer Matthew West? Anybody know Matthew West here? You guys know him? He sang a song a number of years ago called Emotions, and it's really always inspired me. I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to live one more day without your all-consuming passion inside of me. I don't want to spend my whole life asking, what if I had given everything instead of going through the motions. It challenges me, it motivates me, the motivation from Christ, and that has helped me in my life deal with a couple very difficult times, times of some feeling depression, of discouragement, of doubt in my life. Have you been there? You ever feel that way? Christ is there to help motivate me to get me through. I think of my years of ministering out in Santa Cruz, California, and I shared this with the spiritual warfare class a few weeks ago. I said, in my morning quiet time, there would be just a deep, dark, black cloud around me. It was an area that was a lot of sexual immorality, drug use, occult, false religions, witchcraft, and there was a a spiritual oppression on me, and I had to ask our prayer warriors and our prayer teams, would you please, if you could, get up in the morning early and pray for me and help part these dark clouds, and they were motivated to do so, and the Lord used that to, to help me through that difficult time. Another time when I was working with the FCA golf ministry, 
Now, you might say, hey, Pastor Dean, working in golf ministry, what kind of problems can you really have? Everybody would really like to be doing that. But I had a difficult situation because there was a guy who had preceded me on FCA staff, and he violated an FCA rule, and I had to reprimand him. And then not long after that, he he did an even more egregious one. I prayed about it, got some counsel, and I had to make the tough decision of firing him. And it was devastating to him, became devastating to me and the ministry, and it was a very difficult time. But the motivation from Christ helped me get through that difficult time. How about you and your life? Is there a motivation that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, your relationship with him that's helping you, teens, young adults, adults, seniors, kids, in times of doubt and discouragement, even feeling depressed, but the Lord is there to motivate you out of his grace and goodness to overcome those. We see there's motivation from Christ. Thirdly, lastly, this morning, there is exertion for Christ. Exertion for Christ that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Christ who died for Dean and was raised again. I love uh, this quote I I saw this week. uh, Dr. Jonas Salk, if you remember that name, Jonas Salk was uh, the inventor of the polio vaccine, saved millions of lives. In 1995, he died this week in 1995 at the age of 80, but he said this quote, and I, re- I love it. Boy, I just The reason for work well done is the opportunity to do more. I know my wife Betty is rolling her eyes right now <laughs> to do more. But the reason for work well done is the opportunity to do more. Do more what? Do more good works to give God the glory, and to receive God's rewards in our life. And so over the last years, I've been praying for two things. One, I've been praying that the final third of my life, should the Lord tarry and should the Lord give me breath, would be the most fruitful, not just fruit, more fruit, but the most fruitful for him and his kingdom. On the one hand, I have some good genes. My mom is 95 and a half. I go to visit her frequently down in Florida. She doesn't have very good eyesight. She likes to sit next to me and kind of touch me and make sure I'm there. But every time I see her, she goes, Dean, this is the last time I'm going to see you. And I say, well, mom, you've said that the last five times I've seen you. You're still here. You're hanging in there. Keep going. But I said, you know what? You know the Lord. I know the Lord. If that happens, I'll meet you in heaven. And that, that helped her. So she's 95 and a half. My dad made it to 96. He was driving a month before he passed away. He had a great driving record, but somehow there were a lot of accidents in his rearview mirror. I don't know why that happened. He, he cracked me up. He goes, Dean, at my age, I don't even buy green bananas anymore. But he lived through the 2016 baseball season. And that allowed him to do what? See the beloved Chicago Cubs of his win the World Series. He made it through on that. So he made it to 90. So on one hand, I have good genes. On the other hand, I don't know what the Lord's plan is for my next breath, my next heartbeat. 
So I've got to keep that in, in balance. And that's why I love this song from Jason Gray a number of years ago, and he says this, I want to live like there's no tomorrow. Love like I'm on borrowed time. It's good to be alive. I won't take it for granted. I won't waste another second. All I want is to give you a life well lived to say thank you, to say thank you. And that has motivated me. One of the tools that has helped me on this journey in my life is to journal, not the diary, but a journal of what the Lord is teaching me, verses, passages, things I learn in sermons or my own study time. And I'm, I've got stacks of these journals, but I'm excited that we've developed one here for Community Church of Greenville, my faith story journal to tie in with the year's theme. It's available in the cafe, and I got it, uh, we got the shipment in three weeks ago, so I've been using it. I've been starting to uh, write notes and take notes on it, and what I like about it is it's not only notes that I'm in my quiet time, sermons, small group, but for whom did I pray? Or where did I see the Lord answer prayer this week? And it's a weekly one, so that helps. How did I disciple someone this week? How did someone disciple me? How did I, thinking of our three bridges into the community of mental health, gospel conversations, and family, how did I invest in my family or someone's family? How did I care for someone else's mental health or my mental health? How did I engage in a conversation about the gospel or invite someone to CCG this week. I hope you'll join me on this journey of utilizing this journal. They're available at the cafe. Praying for the final third of my life to be the most fruitful and second of all, praying to finish strong. If you remember Pastor Jason's message last week, he said Gideon started strong, but what? He didn't finish strong. The Apostle Paul is one of my idols, and he even struggled with the idea of finishing strong. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run so that you may obtain it. Every athlete competes and does discipline in order to compete. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So, I do not run aimlessly, Paul says. I do not box as one beating the air. No, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after I've preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul was concerned about that. And 14 years later, in a prison cell, in a dungeon in Rome, awaiting execution by Emperor Nero of the Roman Empire, Paul could write to his young protege Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me and not only me, but to all who love his appearing. Paul finished strong. And how did he do it? He did it because God was preserving him. And he did it because he was persevering. And you and I can take a step each day, one day at a time, to finish strong. 
Trusting God's preserving us and our persevering in our walk with Him. So how is your exertion for Christ? How are you spending your time and energy? How is the Lord preserving you? How is the Lord helping you persevere? And where do you need to do better? So some of you today need to begin your journey with Christ, young and old alike. Some of you are on that journey, and some of you are nearing the end of that journey. But the keys are what? That your salvation in Christ is secure and a foundation for your life, not only now, but the life to come. That your motivation from Christ is energizing you to serve Him. And your exertion for Christ is your very best. Will you do that? And He, Christ, died for you. That you who live should no longer live for yourself, but for Him who died for you and was raised again. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time and the word today, and we extend an invitation to any, young and old alike, that need to trust Jesus, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would acknowledge their need as a sinner to have a Savior, that Christ is that Savior, and receive him by faith. Lord, may you work a work of grace in their life even today. And Lord, for those who have been saved by your grace, we thank you, we bless you, And may that understanding of our salvation motivate us to serve you and to give our best exertion for you and your kingdom. And we thank you for our time today. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.